Greetings, Seamheads, far and wide. Welcome into the Blake Street Irregulars podcast. I am Casey Light. Very happy to be joined today by one of the newest additions to Mile High Sports Radio's lineup. You can catch him every weeknight at 6 p.m. on AM 1340, FM 104.7. The inimitable Coach Les. <laughs> Is that on? too big a word to use on a Thursday morning? Uh Extremely. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Coach Les, uh, a new addition to the Mile High Sports Radio lineup. We are so happy and excited to have you on the team. Coach, tell us a little bit about what you were doing prior to your arrival here at Mile High Sports. Uh, before coming to Mile High Sports Radio, I've been with uh, SB Nation Radio for the past year and a half. I had a show nightly from 9 to 11 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And uh, now decided to go local and be back, be home since I live here anyway, and hang out with you guys. I love it. Well, now you're in prime time, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. weeknights here on Mile High Sports Radio, AM 1340, FM 1047, streaming online at milehighsports.com or on the Mile High Sports app. You can catch the Coach Les show. 6 to 8 p.m. weeknights. This, though, is the Blake Street Irregulars podcast where we talk nothing but Rockies baseball. It is presented to you by 1920 Blake Street, just one half block from Coors Field, with 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, American Alpine Fair that is locally sourced and rotates seasonally, and those terrific rooftop views all year round. Tell you what, Coach Les, with the sunrise that we had this morning here in Denver, I was a little sad that Tap 14 was not open yet because that would have been a perfect spot to view that beautiful sunrise this morning would it not it, it would have been and it would have been even better uh, I'm not much of a drinker but when you said is that many different beers on tap I would have had to try something out as I watched the sun come up they say it's five o'clock somewhere right there you but go there early, you go uh, there you go early on a Thursday morning and we're yeah. getting after it uh, thank you for listening to us here on the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14 whenever you may be listening to us so excited uh, the season boy just keeps inching closer and closer yep. we're getting really really excited uh, about this upcoming season expectations as we've mentioned so many times are at an all-time high for this team but coach You've mentioned a few times on your show already yeah. that you think the Rockies aren't getting enough respect. We're going to talk about that at the end okay. of this podcast because okay. I tend to agree with you. I think both nationally and locally, the Rockies are maybe flying a little bit under the radar despite all the great things that they did last year. Yep, yep. But before we do that, we're going to lead off and we're going to lead off talking about the leadoff spot in the lineup because yep. that is still a to be determined spot for Bud Black. Uh, it seems as though he has settled upon this decision to move Charlie Blackman into the three-hole. We'll talk more in depth about that shortly. Uh, I had said previously in the Blake Street Regulars podcast presented by Tap 14 that I felt Charlie Blackman would eventually end up back in the leadoff spot, that Bud Black would use the springtime to maybe do a little testing of the waters. Uh, but he seems pretty resolved at this point that he wants to move Charlie into that three spot and slide him right next to Nolan Arenado in the lineup with Nolan hitting fourth. So that leads us to who's going to be the leadoff hitter. I wrote a piece on milehighsports.com about this, breaking down the, the what I think are the two best options for the Rockies. Really, there's only the two viable options when it comes to the starting lineup. And when I say starting lineup, I mean the established veteran players that we know are going to be in this in this lineup. Okay. Um, and those two guys are Ian Desmond and Gerardo Parra. Okay. Because I think with... The three outfielders that are also competing for roster spots, Rymel Tapia, David Dahl, Mike Talkman, any one of those three could fit in as a viable option for Bud Black. But that means that you're putting two all-star caliber or at least gold glove caliber uh, 
high quality veterans in Ian Desmond and Gerardo Parra on the bench just to put one of those guys in your leadoff spot. You're Bud Black. You're not going to do that, especially with the amount of money that you're paying those guys. So realistically, we're talking about Ian Desmond and Gerardo Parra. So far in the early going, Ian Desmond, it has been his job to lose. Uh, But he hasn't done a whole lot to gain that job uh, through his first 16 at-bats in spring training. He has just one hit. One single okay. through 16 at-bats. He is 0 for 3 in his last two games. He's got five strikeouts to go with those uh, uh, 15 unproductive at-bats. Are you concerned at all about Ian Desmond and the slow start that he's off to in spring, or do you just chalk it up to this is the spring? Uh, that's what I was going to get to. I was going to say the spring really doesn't make a difference to me, what anybody really does, because think about it. By next week or so, we're probably not going to be seeing many of these guys playing anyway. Uh, these are going to be guys that just are going to be there at training camp. Uh, and when we talk about the three-hole, I'm going to tell you right now, I would say probably the second month of the season – the lineup's going to pretty much look like it did last year. Right now, I think this is just something to see. Could we get away with switching up the one to the three? And that's all it is. That's all this is. I don't see this as anything at all, and I guarantee you, not many other people do too. I know you're looking at it, and probably you're probably thinking, all right, is this something he really wants to do? Because that's what it makes you think. This is not going to happen. When the season starts, the number one guy is going to be Blackman. I've said that on a couple of different occasions. (laughs) I think that will ultimately be the case. I I said it'll happen as early as opening day. But there are some some certainly some intriguing options there because, you know, both Desmond and Para, it's it's funny. And and if you go to my piece on milehighsports.com, click on the Rockies tab and you'll see a piece uh, about if not Charlie Blackman, who hits leadoff. That's the title of the piece. And and really, it comes down to those two guys, Ian Desmond and Gerardo Para. And, And what really amazed me when I broke down the stats was how similar those guys are. Um, Para had a much better year last year, um, hit above 300 for the first time in his career, uh, brought his strikeout totals down, not hugely down, you know, maybe eight to nine percent. But that's still a pretty big number for a guy like Gerardo Para, who tends to be a free swinger. We saw his walks increase a little bit early in the season. He kind of got away from that late. Um, But I like the idea of Gerardo Para at the top of the lineup uh, for a couple of different reasons. I like Para there for... Number one, he's a spark plug type of a player. Para is an energy guy, right? Yeah. He's a guy that whether it's in the clubhouse, whether it's on the field, he's bringing it 100% when he can, right? Yeah. He had yeah. the injury issues in 2016 that kind of hampered him a little bit, but we saw how valuable he is as an emotional leader, uh, as as a energy guy for this roster. And I like having somebody like that at the top of the roster uh, or at the top of the lineup. Charlie Blackman, very, very similar, right? Charlie Blackman's going 110% every time that he can. So I like that from Para. Uh, I also like the second piece is Para at the top of the lineup, if Charlie Blackman is your three-hole, allows you to go left, right, left, right through yeah. your first four hitters, right? You go Para on the left side, DJ on the right side, Charlie on the left side, Nolan on the right side. It also allows you to go uh, away from a right pitcher right situation at the bottom of the lineup because we're going to assume that it's either going to be Trevor Story if his bat's really cold as it has been or Chris Iannetta batting eighth right even if it's not Chris Iannetta in the catcher spot it's probably going to be Tony Walters there's your there's your eight hole hitter right there one of those three guys then you've got your pitcher hitting ninth 
if you have Ian Desmond at the top of the lineup, now you're going right pitcher right. So I know matchups sometimes, you know, people make a little too much of that left versus right. But as a former pitcher myself, I, I can say that it does kind of it messes with your brain a little bit when you're seeing guys move from different sides of the plate. When you're having to face a lefty versus a righty, your your, your approach does change. And so I, I think there's some some intrigue with Gerardo Parra in that spot. However, it seems that Ian Desmond is being given every opportunity to take that leadoff spot. Now, one of the things that, that came out yesterday, and, and this is really important, and I think we, we, we need to make sure that we address this, is that Desmond struggles early on in spring training. Like we said, one for 16 with five strikeouts, does not even have an extra base hit or an RBI. Uh, He's got a lot of left on base. Uh, Yesterday's game, he left, I believe, four guys on base. Um, Kind of a a rough day for Desmond at the plate. But uh, Desmond spoke with Thomas Harding of MLB.com and mentioned that he is trying to change his approach at the plate. Basically, that he has lowered his hands uh, in his stance trying to pull and lift the ball a little bit more because he's playing in the expansive surroundings of Coors Field. Desmond historically has always been a spray hitter, right? A guy yes. who, can, who can drive the ball to any part of the ballpark, and, and there's some benefit of being that type of a hitter at Coors Field. Uh, but he feels that he's always been at his best. Uh, in fact, he, he mentioned that his best year in Washington, statistically and, and mentally, was when he had dropped his hands a little bit further down. And so he's trying to go back to that. He's really adjusting his swing during spring training and trying to pull the ball a little bit more uh, are you okay with, with giving him a longer leash because you know that he's trying to change his approach at the plate? Or do you really want to see something productive out of him soon? Uh, if he's trying to change the way that he's batting, I'm going to say I want to see something productive soon. Only because right now it's kind of late in the game to decide you want to do that because of where you're playing. So to me, I'm going to want to see something now. You're going to have to go back to the way you were batting. You have to do something to show me. And, and you know, we were talking about the the, uh, the leadoff position. I honestly think what's going on right now with Bud Black, and he's not going to come out and he's going to say this, I think he's trying to figure out a way to make sure that he has Parra and he has Tapia in the lineup some kind of a way. So by putting someone else at third and one of those guys leading off, then he can justify when when he starts to get the critics to say to him over and over again, what's going on, Why why are we doing this, because it makes no sense to most. To most, it doesn't. That's the reason that he's doing that. To me, that's just the way I look at it. I think that that's what he's trying to do. Find a way to get those guys in, especially considering, uh, I know this is what, isn't what we're talking about, but you had Cargo uh, go out and test free agency. So you got to figure out what you're going to do with, that, with these guys that you know can be outfielders that need to probably be on the, on the field. Uh, so that's just, that, that's just part. That, that wasn't what you asked, but I, I had to say that. Sure. And also, back with, with, when you're talking about him trying to switch up the way that he's hitting so that he can try to be more productive, well, I tell you what, if you got away with hitting a certain way up to now, it's a little too late to try to figure it out and switch it. Now, if that's something you want to do, in practice and, and other places, that's fine. But right now, I think he needs to concentrate on getting the ball in play. Well, I think the, the big issue for me with with Desmond and, and changing this approach, and I, look, he's he's a pro. Let's let's let's. Of course. I mean, he's not nine year major league uh, baseball player, two time All Star. Um, he's entering into his tenth year. So look, we're not going to take anything away from Ian Desmond and and the approach that he brings. Clearly, uh, I mean, a great great player. Oh yes. Um, but. 
What concerns me with him trying to change this approach is the struggles that he had last year. Ian Desmond came in with huge expectations because of the huge contract that he signed. And I think there was a lot of pressing. I think there was a lot of him trying to find his role in the clubhouse. It was his second club, or I guess rather his third clubhouse in as many years. Yeah. Uh, he ended with Washington, spent the one year in Texas, and then came to Colorado. So third clubhouse in as many years. His second new team in as many yeah. years yeah. Um, after spending the early, uh, you know, several years, uh, first seven years of his of his major league career there in Washington. And so, you know, I, I think there was a little bit of pressing on his end um, in 2017, especially trying to come back from that hand injury that he suffered yeah. in spring training. Um, he had such high expectations. So my fear is that not only was he pressing, well, now is he is he going to be inclined to press again in 2018 because he didn't really meet the expectations there in 2017. But now not only is he pressing again, he's also trying to change up things from, you know, from a mechanical standpoint. And that's that's a little bit of a concern for me. Doug Ottawa, who's our editor-in-chief of Mile High Sports Magazine, joined us on Monday for the Monday edition of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast presented by Tap 14. Mentioned that... Uh, it, that he thinks Desmond is a little bit more relaxed this year. He feels he seems like he's a little bit more comfortable, and that's I think that's a good sign. I, I'm looking forward to to seeing what Desmond can do because I'm a little nervous that especially if they put him with the pressure of being the leadoff hitter, is he going to continue to press more and more? Uh, he, see, to say that he's relaxed. And then to see that he's trying to change his batting stance, it's kind of hard to put those two together. <laughs> That's just me. I don't know how you can put those two together. Because if you're relaxed, you know, think about it. He has, he has had a history of power. The way that he has batted, he's done well. Him, Arenado, Blackman, they, they have shown power. You know, so to me, if you're, you've shown that power in the past, stick with what you've done. So to me, I don't see him as being relaxed. But, hey, maybe this is a way that he relaxes uh, by changing his batting stance. Uh, but... I don't see it. I yeah. just don't. Well, speaking of, of sticking with what you've done, it, it kind of brings us back to Charlie Blackman, and, and you wanted yeah. to talk more in depth about the three-hole. Uh, because we both said even before uh, we started recording here that this kind of seems like a, if it ain't broke, don't fix it exactly. type of a situation. Exactly. You know, you have the the National League batting champion, yep. guy who redefined what a leadoff hitter can look like, yep. guy who led the league in triples, I should say, not just the league. He led Major League Baseball in triples, triples last yeah. year. Set a Major League Baseball record with 103 RBIs out of the leadoff spot. And Bud Black is moving him down in the lineup with the attempt to get him surrounded by DJ LeMahieu and Nolan Arenado. Um, understandably, look, DJ, former batting champion himself, guy who gets on base a lot. Yeah. Um, so now if you have a power bat in front of, or sorry, behind him, uh, now you've got an opportunity to drive him in more frequently uh, because Charlie is an extra base hit machine. Uh, then you've also got that added fear if you're a pitcher of Nolan. Well, if I can't get Charlie Blackman out, I still got to face Nolan Arenado after this. So, yeah. you know, I, I can understand the 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 logic from Bud Black's standpoint but what concerns me is the potential loss for at bats or plate appearances for Charlie Blackman uh, he's off to a great start in the spring he's hitting 385 he has homers in his last two uh, games so the power starting to come around uh, he's got a pair of doubles already this spring Charlie is Charlie Charlie's gonna hit whether you hit him first Ninth, third, fifth, it doesn't gonna, matter. He's, he's, he's going to find a way to hit, and he's going to be a situational type of a hitter. What concerns me, though, is the loss of plate appearances and at-bats for Charlie if you're dropping him down in the lineup. Yeah. I want a couple, of, a couple of numbers for you to just think about here. Last year, both Charlie Blackman and Nolan Arenado played in 159 games. 
How many plate appearances do you think Charlie Blackman had last year in 159 games? It's a big number. I'll, I'll, I'll give it out to you. 725. Charlie Blackman led the league in plate appearances with 725 plate appearances. How, be, how many did Arenado have? Nolan Arenado had 680. As I was going to say, I, would, I was thinking, I was thinking a little lower. I was thinking five something. Uh, so that that that's quite a so bit. It's a huge loses. difference. Yeah, it, to it me, that's a huge difference. You're talking about 725 to 680, yeah. right? You're talking about 45 plate appearances yeah. that that you're potentially taking out of play for Charlie Blackman by moving him from that first to that third spot. It's look, this isn't a 100% equivalency. It's it's probably going to end up somewhere in between. But the same thing then is true for Nolan Arenado. Yes. You drop Nolan out of the 3 spot down into the 4 spot and you're taking plate appearances away from Nolan Arenado. Very so true. there there's I, I think there's a to me there's a bit of a concern there that <laughs> you're tinkering maybe a little bit too much. The issue that you have with that though is they have not re-signed Carlos Gonzalez. They have not re-signed Mark Reynolds. They're waiting to see what happens with that core trio of young outfielders that we talked about. The future yeah. in the outfield, Tapia, Dahl, and Talkman. They like to see one of those or even two of those guys end up on the opening day roster. Um, there is a report out I saw uh, recently, uh, as early as this morning, that... Uh, John Heyman is saying that there's still some talks ongoing with cargo. Um, to me, the backlog is in the outfield doesn't necessitate signing Carlos Gonzalez, but I could also see a situation where, hey, he's just such an important clubhouse guy that they might bring him back. Um, the, the issue really becomes if you don't bring back Carlos Gonzalez or you don't bring back Mark Reynolds, now all of a sudden, who is your four-hole hitter? Because Trevor Story, who they would love to see take that job, has proven that he is such a strikeout machine that they really can't afford to do that. I mean, in fact, they're probably looking at, at hitting, you know, if Parra is not at the top of the lineup, he's probably going to be hitting five, maybe six, depending on where they where Ryan McMahon would slot in. There's a lot of movement there in those sort of four, five, six, seven spots, depending on what happens. So, you know, I understand the logic behind having Charlie in that three hole able to drive DJ in more regularly, um, especially if you have somebody that you that you believe can get on base consistently in that leadoff spot, whether it be a Desmond, maybe even potentially a Para who I like in that spot, although Bud Black doesn't seem to be leaning as heavily that direction, but but I, I still think that that he'd be an interesting option there. Or those younger guys, the Tapias, the Dolls, even the Talkmans. Um, so that's a little bit of my concern with, with Charlie Blackman in the three hole. It has less to do with whether Charlie Blackman can hit in the three hole. We know Charlie Blackman can hit. Can hit can <laughs> There's hit. no doubt yeah. about that. Um, it, it's really a matter of are we are we taking away Charlie Blackman's total opportunities to hit uh, in exchange for giving him better opportunities to hit? Yeah. We'll see how it all shakes out, but you've said you think it's going to end up by what? Yeah, I, I said like the second month. Here's the thing, though. All of that changes, too. If we get Reynolds and we get Gonzalez back, if those two come back, everything changes because yeah. then you automatically just go to putting him back in the one uh, in the one hole, and then everybody else just goes back to the regular positions. Yeah. But it, that's the big thing. What are you going to – are you going to get these guys to come back? Yeah, and, and you know, with the, the issue that you run into with bringing Cargo back, again, sort of becomes the, okay, well, then who do you bench? 
Para or Desmond because Charlie is going to be out on the Parra's field, be or is Cargo a or is Cargo your bench guy? Is Cargo willing to take a bench role? No. Um, you know, there, there's there's that there's that situation, and then uh, you know, I think more realistically is is a Mark Reynolds. I like bringing back Reynolds. I, McMahon so far has been very very solid. I don't want to take anything away from what Ryan McMahon has done so far in Cactus League play, but we also know that the regular season is a very totally different, different animal. Very, very different, different animal. Very different. Um, I. I, I know that Nolan feels a lot more confident, or I shouldn't say a lot more. Let's say this. Nolan feels very confident with Mark Reynolds on the field. He likes the fielding presence that Mark Reynolds brings. Um, he has mentioned that he has even he's even going to have to adjust a little bit of how he plays with a guy like Ryan McMahon, who is not as experienced, yeah. who's not a true yeah. first baseman. So there's a little bit of concern there on, on my end. To me, if they're going to bring back anyone, it should be Mark Reynolds, unless the idea is that you're going to play cargo or Gerardo Parra or Ian Desmond at first base we're running out of daylight though I, I know it's only March 8th but this season is going to be underway in in just about three weeks we we need to get these things figured out sooner rather than later uh I, I can tell you right now cargo comes back Parra's gonna sit it, it's just that simple but you were ju- you just finished saying you would rather it be Reynolds than cargo is that is that what you what you feel well I just think given the the climate you're, the the option if you bring cargo back and sit para is now you're sitting a guy who hit 309 for you last yeah, year and drove exactly. in 70 runs yeah. in place of a guy who hit below 280 and had one of his rockiest seasons. Now look, everybody expects cargo to bounce back wherever he ends up and he will end up somewhere. Uh, but it's hard uh, it's hard to I almost view that and say, well, boy, that's that's kind of a, a punishment for Para, even after he put together such yeah, a solid year for you, where you have such a huge question mark at first base with Ryan McMahon. So I could see a situation where they slide Desmond over to first base and just say, hey, sorry, Desi, exactly. you're, you're playing first yeah, base, exactly. end of story. Uh, but I like Reynolds there. Uh, the, the issue with Reynolds, obviously, are the strikeouts. It, 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 you know, he... he he had a solid, I mean, almost MVP, or sorry, almost all-star caliber First half, second half became the Mark Reynolds that we, you know, all know and love. The guy who, you know, contact was was severely diminished. Power numbers went down. Strikeouts went way up in that second half. So, you know, the, the difference is that you have a true first baseman in Mark Reynolds and a guy that both DJ LeMayhew and Nolan Arenado feel very comfortable with from a defensive standpoint versus Ian Desmond, who has not yet played that position on a full-time basis. So there, there's that to factor into it as well. One thing that will not factor in in 2018 is Nolan Arenado's contract situation. And we're going to touch on that in just a quick moment. But I do want to remind everyone that the Blake Street Regulars podcast is presented by Tap 14 at 1920 Blake Street, just a half block from Coors Field. We will be there throughout the course of the season for this Thursday edition of the podcast. Uh, While we're still in uh, spring training, Cactus League mode, we're doing the podcast here locally. But every Thursday, we will be out at Tap 14 uh, with their 70 Colorado beers on tap, one. Colorado Distilled Spirits. So we encourage you, uh, once the season gets underway, to come out and join us on Thursdays. We'll be posting information to our social media at Mile High Sports on Facebook and on Twitter to come down and join us because it will be a great, great time. One issue that will not be dealt with in the 2018 season is Nolan Arenado's contract. Uh, Nolan came out earlier this week, actually, uh, Sunday morning. Uh, 
report came out from MLB.com that Nolan is not interested in having discussions about his contract, uh, the long-term contract extension that he will be getting, whether it be, I shouldn't say extension, the long-term contract, whether he's getting it as an extension from the Colorado Rockies or whether he goes into free agency following the 2019 season. Uh, Jeff Breidich had come out at Cactus League Media Day and said he was willing and open to negotiating with Nolan Charlie and DJ, the three big impending free agents during this season. He said those were conversations that would be that the team would be willing to have during the season. So long as they didn't become public, they wanted to keep those close to the vest. Um, And and knowing those three guys, uh, those were never going to become public. That's not their personality. That's not their M.O. Uh, But Nolan did come out then uh, a couple of weeks later and say, no, I don't want to talk about my contract. I just want to focus on this year. Is that a bad sign in your mind that he wants to shelve these conversations? No, you know, here's the thing. I'm I'm actually going to talk about this later on today. The, the Rockies are in a very they're, – they're almost at a crossroads, even though this is Black's second year. They're at a crossroads based off what they did yesterday, last year and what's going on this year, especially with contracts coming up and everything else. This is going to be a year where the majority of the Rockies – and I'm even talking as far – even John Gray, if he doesn't win 15 to 17 games, it may be bye-bye to him too after this season. There's a lot of unanswered questions. And players like Arenado, players like LeMahieu, those guys want to see – what's going to happen with the three new pitchers and everything else that's been brought in if it's going to be to their best interest to stay in Colorado. Because if Colorado does not have a good year this year, they're going to lose a lot of players, and it's going to be almost like starting all over again. So nobody wants to sign a long-term deal until they see how this season goes. Well, and part of the issue complicating all of that is whether or not they can afford to pay these guys what they are worth. I don't think there's any doubt that those guys want to stick around, but the money has to be right and it has to be fair. It has to be fair. And and when you say, you know, what they can accomplish this year versus next year, you know, this has been a recurring theme here on the Blake Street Regulars podcast is the fact that, you know, both Charlie and DJ are going to be free agents after this season. Yep. They are going yep. to be free agents be after free this season. Agents, yeah. So in my mind, if you're if you're Jeff Breidich, if you're Dick Monfort, you can if you're going to have to open up the checkbook one way one or, the, or other, the other. There you go. It's a matter of how wide are you willing to open it and what are you hoping to accomplish? Because I could see a situation in which you sign either Charlie or Nolan, but certainly not both, because those guys are going to be worth. I mean, they're both. Look, I mean, Charlie should, by all rights, see an eighty million dollar contract, a hundred million dollar contract. At least. Given what he's accomplished, he's probably earned that. Given the market, Nolan, who knows how high the ceiling could climb with him? Million. Because you know, is it Giancarlo Stanton money, like three fifty? Maybe you know, we're we're seeing kind of an odd stalemate going on, and obviously with the collective bargaining agreement and everything that's that's going on there. Uh, Free agency has definitely taken on a little bit different tone than I think everybody expected this offseason. But at the end of the day, those guys are still going to have to get paid. And the Rockies have just sunk big, big money into their bullpen for Brian Shaw and Wade Davis and Jake McGee. So the money's going to have to be spent somewhere. To me, you can't afford to keep all three of those guys it's just not going to happen. The Rock, I mean, the Rockies don't have a TV deal that pays them enough to do that. Revenue sharing in MLB isn't enough. So unless they're selling out all 81 home games and putting every single butt in those seats and everybody coming to those games is buying five Rocky dogs a game, they're not going to have the cash flow to be able to pay those guys the numbers that they deserve. So 
to me, it signals, yes, the Rockies, you know, the, 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 that trio wants to see what the Rockies do this year. But it's also a matter of, do the Rockies even have the money to pay those guys if they wanted to stay? Let, let me tell you something, Casey. You, you, you said they don't have the money to give, give to them, uh, collective bargaining. You mentioned all those things. But here's, here's what happens. You want to see people just at every single game eating five Rocky dogs? <laughs> you, you pay those guys to stay here. Then you're showing a commitment. You're taking a chance. You're showing a commitment that we're going to do what we should have been doing years ago. We're selling out. We're going to pay what these guys want. Market value, 80 to 100. If that's what you want to give cargo, fine. If you need to come up some kind of a way with $190 million, close to 200 to give to uh, Arenado, you do it. If you show that you're going to keep them, you're going to pay for them, uh, the, the Yankees aren't set, wasn't selling out uh, seats until Steinbrenner decided he was going to go out and get the Reggie Jacksons and get those guys to come play for the Yankees. You have to show the fans that this is what you're in. That's why they don't get the respect because they're not showing it. If they decide to pay, you say they don't have the money, they can find a way to get the money. But if you pay them, They'll buy the five, the dogs will be bought and the seats will be sold. But you have to be willing to show that you're committed to your players. And then everybody else will sell in with you. They'll buy in with you. Well, it's it's the old adage, you have to spend money to make money. There, there right? you go. And, and that's, that's what they have to do. That's a little bit of what it is. And the Rockies, you know, historically have not been a team that's no. going to spend a lot of money. They've been, you know, if not on the bottom half of spending or even into the bottom third of spending, uh, you know, right around the middle. You know, I, what, I've done some analysis on this. And, and what you see, the Rockies are, are roughly the number 17, 18 market in MLB in okay. terms of, of market size. Okay. And if you look historically where their spending is, they actually hover right around that mark. Sometimes they bump up, sometimes they slide down a little bit. But if you take the average, they end up right around 17, 18. So they're spending an equivalent amount based on their market size. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, they have this window of opportunity with these great homegrown players Gotta get them. That, that they have to really, they're going to make some, I, I do not envy Jeff Breidich. I, I do not envy Dick Monfort because, like you said, th- there's that mentality of spend money to make money. Uh, boy, it's, it is a big roll of the dice. It is. That it's a huge it, That if that starting rotation doesn't develop the way that you would like it to. The great part yep. about this is those, those young starting pitchers are under team control for so long that you don't have to break the bank on your starters yeah. for, for a long time, really. Yeah. Um, and they have a lot of young guys that they believe in and have confidence in, but man, if if two or three of those struggle with injury, don't pan out the way that they look, and all of a sudden starting pitching becomes this, you know, albatross for the club, and you've got all these great, you know, position players in this stacked lineup, but you can't, you know, your starter can't get out of the fourth or yeah. fifth inning, what's the point? If you can't get to Brian Shaw and Wade Davis over the next two or three years with a lead, what's the point? So a lot of tough, tough decisions coming for the Colorado Rockies. Uh, I do not envy those guys. Final point that we want to touch on is something that you were talking about on your show. And again, I'll remind everyone that we are joined by Coach Les, one of the great new talents here at Mile High Sports. You can catch him on Mile High Sports Radio, AM 1340, FM 1047, or online at milehighsports.com and on the Mile High Sports app every weeknight at 6 o'clock. You talked about this uh, in one of your shows this week, and it really, I think it, it... it sunk in with me when I started looking up some of the numbers that the Rockies aren't getting enough respect. Yeah. Uh, 
tell me why you think the Rockies aren't getting enough respect, and then I'm going to give you some of my research that, that might back up your ideas. I, I, I feel like they don't get enough respect. For one, the Broncos have won Super Bowls. The Broncos are uh, the team in Colorado. You know, almost every station is, uh, there's never an offseason for Broncos. <laughs> that's what we're going to hear a lot. And that's fine, because they've won. They're, they're the team that's won. I would even think that we should even say that about the Avs, but we don't. The Rockies don't get enough respect a couple of different reasons. They've did so much to the stadium that the stadium has turned into more of a party place than it is a place to go watch the game. And I get it. That's, that's the new way of, of baseball. Most stadiums are built that way. It used to be you just showed up. I'm from Chicago, so I, I would skip school, don't tell my mom, <laughs> and I would go to Wrigley Field just to watch the game. Sure. It had nothing to do with all of the party favors and what was going on Waveland Avenue and, and everywhere else. Uh, in Colorado, that's what's happened with Coors Field. Coors Field is more of a party place. It's a destination. So people don't go see the Rockies play. They go see, they go to Coors Field. And that's the mentality of everyone else in the state. They think about Coors Field as going there to party instead of going to watch the Rockies. Rockies made it to the playoffs last year. And I don't think I saw I, – I saw – too many or heard too many people talk about the Rockies. I did because I loved it, I, I sure. but I'm a baseball lover. Uh, so I, I feel that's the reason they don't get enough respect in the city because it's more of a party than it is of going to watch a game. Well, the Rockies certainly didn't help that mentality by essentially leveling the upper deck in <laughs> right field and turning it into a gigantic bar. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and turning it into a party. You know, the that's rooftop. exactly right. And, and look, the, the rooftop is a great spot. I know it's a huge revenue builder. So when we talk about, hey, how can the Rockies... Look, they're going to make way more money selling a bunch of $7 beers to people who are there just to hang out and play cornhole than they are at a bunch, you know, than, than trying to sell 12 individual tickets to the worst seats in the house exactly. uh, for people who may or may not be keeping score at home. Exactly. Um, but but I think you're right in that there there became this reputation at Coors Field that it's just a place to have a great night out, exactly. not a place to go and watch quality baseball. And yeah. part of the reason is the Rockies were flirting with 100 wins for too many or, or sorry, 100 losses. losses. Yeah. Oh, man, I, I wish 100 wins. 100 wins yeah. They were flirting with 100 losses for, for so many years in a row there that it became a, well, who cares what the Rockies do? We can at yeah. least come out, enjoy a beautiful night in lower downtown Denver, have fun. If they're winning, maybe we stick around. If not, we head over to Tap 14 and knock back a couple more cold beers, ones. Yeah. Not quite as expensive uh, exactly. as you'll find over at Coors Field. And so they sort of perpetuated this mindset. And then all of a sudden, when their team started winning... Now we go, you know, they, they're doing, you know, not just, you know, they're not just doing the rooftop, but they're doing Star Wars night and bark it, it at the is, park and all of these other ways to get people into the park for reasons not associated with watching quality baseball. Now, all of a sudden they have a quality baseball team and people don't know how to follow a quality baseball team. And, exactly. and you'll hear me talk about this on the podcast uh, as a baseball guy through and through, grew up playing the game, know it inside and out. There, there have been several moments during my fandom, and I'll, I'll separate my fandom from my, from my media coverage okay. because, you know, I am still a guy that I will go and I will buy a ticket and I will sit in the stands and I will watch a game and I will separate myself from the media coverage for, for a game uh, or two throughout the course of the season. And there are times where I'm just banging my head against the plastic seat in front of me because Rockies fans do not know baseball. No. They know fandom somewhat, yeah. but the, the fact that we see the wave 
every single game at Coors Field, <laughs> and that we see it. I'm oh, sorry, I'm, I'm, send, I'm sending you into a tailspin. I'm making you cough. Oh but man! The fact that the fact that Rockies fans are so uneducated that they and, and forgive me, Rockies fans, I love you, and I know that most of you who are listening to the yeah. Blake Street Regulars podcast are not among this group. Yeah, exactly. But but the fact that the Rockies can be in the field defensively, and some Yahoo is starting the wave just blows my mind. The, the fact that, A, that the wave exists at a, at, a, at a baseball game yeah. is bad enough, but to do it when John Gray is on the mound is just absolutely inexcusable in my mind. And so, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I think at the same time, part of the reason why the Rockies aren't getting the respect from the local, you know, from the local media, maybe from the from the local fan base necessarily, is because... They haven't been trained to to look at the team through the same lens as we look at the Broncos, right? The Broncos were five and eleven last year, and people were ready to jump off the Spear Viaduct Bridge no, onto I twenty five. You know, they wanted they wanted Vance Joseph run out on a rail after Absolutely one right. year. Um, you know, even even the Avalanche, whom you mentioned. You know, a lot of folks were calling for Jared Bednar's head after one very, very bad yeah, year. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but l- he's been able to engineer a turnaround, and so good for Jared Bednar. Um, we'll see. I-, I think the verdict is still out on what Vance Joseph is going to be able to accomplish. But, you know, even when Walt Weiss was just wallowing in misery for, exactly. for many years, you didn't hear nearly the same cacophony of okay. calls yeah. for his job as you hear from Vance Joseph you know, just, you know, a half a season into his first year as head coach of the Denver Broncos. And so, you know, from a local standpoint, I understand that. From a national standpoint, the Rockies aren't getting a ton of respect either. You have your three division winners, Uh right? And you have your two wildcard teams. So 10 teams made the playoffs this this past year, right? The Rockies, however, according to Vegas Insider, are have the only the 14th best odds to win the World Series this upcoming year. So there are teams that are above them that were not even in the playoffs last year that, according to VegasInsider.com, have better odds. Those teams include the St. Louis Cardinals, the Milwaukee Brewers, the New York Mets, the San Francisco Giants, and they are tied with the Seattle Mariners at 33-1 to odds. The Rockies, according to VegasInsider.com, have 33-1 to odds. Now... These numbers are as of January 11th, so that's after free agency, uh, you know, after most of the hot stove has happened. That's after they added Wade Davis and Brian Shaw. So they're factoring those things into it, Um, and yet the Rockies and the Mariners are viewed as having equal odds. Can you even tell me who the starting, who's going to be the opening day starter for the Seattle Mariners? Me. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Me. Um, You know, look, that's not to take anything away from Seattle. Definitely not. But but the point being is that here you have a club last year that made the playoffs, uh, had the National League batting champion, had two top five National League MVP candidates, yep. and they're only 14th best odds. Yes, the Brewers have very quietly done a really done great job, job this yeah. offseason. Uh, the Giants made some splashy signings. Obviously, the Diamondbacks were in the playoffs last year. The Mets have been good of late, uh, and yet... It, so there's there's an expectation of bounce back. Plus, there's the Tim Tebow factor. Okay, I'm just kidding. Course, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so I, I can see some of the logic there. But boy, to have the Rockies there is is really kind of a I think a slight to that club. USA Today uh, just this morning released their power rankings. Uh, that that number 
is a little bit more respectful to the Rockies. Uh, it does one? put them at 10th. They are tied with the Los Angeles or the Anaheim Angels, depending okay. on uh, what well, era you're from. Yeah, yeah, exactly. um, they're tied with the Angels, who obviously had a big offseason, adding Shohei Otani. Um, so that puts them in that 10 clubs well, that, that, make, they, that they are make going to make the playoffs yeah, in, exactly. in that situation. Yeah. Um, they do have the Brewers above the Rockies in that. Uh, you know, the usual suspect, Houston, obviously, is the, the reigning world champs um, who added Garrett Cole to strengthen that rotation. They're number one. Dodgers come in at number two with that humongous payroll of theirs. Exactly. And obviously, you know, the arguably the best pitcher in the game in Clayton Kershaw, all the great things that they've done. Cleveland, who was there not too long ago. Yep. Washington and that stacked starting of rotation of yeah. theirs. Uh, and Bryce Harper, one of the best players in the game so I, I can th- that rounds out your top four and then the Yankees I'm surprised actually that the Yankees aren't a little bit higher up on this course, with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo added, Stanton yeah. being added but uh, Yankees round out your top five I, I can see some some logic in in why you know maybe Los Angeles is there tied with with Colorado but I, I do think feel like the, the Rockies have an opportunity to to kind of stick it to these folks and, and go out and be competitive but Boy, that National League West did not get any easier on them. Did no, it? no, it didn't. No, it didn't. Uh, the Rockies, man, I can't. Here's the thing. I don't think I've waited to see the Rockies play in a long time like I am for this season because it, they have they had showed so much promise last year. So coming into this season, I can't wait. I can't wait to see how they start. That's more impressive. Going to be more impressive to me than whatever happens the rest of the year, how they start off. Yeah, to me, I would have to say I go all the way back to 1996. Whoa. You know, the Rockies made the playoffs in 95. It was their first taste. Everybody was so excited. You know, they got there. They were the Blake Street Bombers. I mean, they had this stacked lineup. Um, They finally were maybe kind of almost figuring out some pitching. Um, You know, even what they did in 2007 with that magical run to the World Series, I think the sweep by the Red Sox took a little air out of those tires. And also, I think everybody, because of that 21 of 22 run that they went on, I think everybody was maybe a little caught. Cautiously optimistic heading into 2008. Coming out of 2009, you had had the highs of 07, the lows of 08, the back up in 2009. Um, you know, so heading into 2010, there were some expectations. They did finish above 500 that year. Didn't make the playoffs though. But to me, I don't think expectations have ever been this high. Maybe the closest would have been 96. That's going back a long, long, long way ago. in Rockies yeah. history. So yeah. you're right. I mean, this is a huge, huge year for this club. Obviously, with the impending free agency that we talked about. Uh, a strong showing is going to be really important to convincing those guys that yeah. they can win here can, long term, go. Go. and that maybe they should consider taking a hometown discount to stay with a club that they can basically put their mark on. You know, if you are Nolan Arenado, if you are Charlie Blackman, maybe even DJ LeMayhew, are you Jeff Breidich, and you're knocking down that door saying, "Guys, you can be the first Hall of Famers from here." From Colorado, yeah. right? Larry Walker, I think we all agree, deserves to be in, should be in, probably should go in as a you know as a Colorado Rocky, yeah. um, you know that to me. But but obviously he spent so much of his time, you know, he played a lot of years in in Montreal, yeah. pl- spent some time um, in in St. Louis. You guys can be the first true Rockies because as much as I love Todd Helton, Todd Helton's probably not gonna ma- he's probably not gonna make it in. I'd be really surprised to if see him does. get in. You know, is that part of the pitch that Jeff Breidich says is, hey, you guys can be the first true Rockies to be in the Hall of Fame. Nolan is on that path. Charlie, if he stays on his current trajectory, has that opportunity. I mean, there's there's I, I think there's something special brewing with these guys. You would hate to see it 
be a, such a limited window of 2017, 18 exactly. only. Uh, big, big things, big expectations. Uh, but it's going to be a fun year, and we're really excited and really happy to have you on board. Uh, you're going to basically be helping guide folks into the into Coors Field every weeknight every here on Mile High Sports uh, as you're getting your way into those games. Make sure that you're tuning in to AM 1340 and FM 104.7. Listening to the Coach Les show as you're driving into those Rockies games. We'll have him on uh, quite a bit over the course of the season, whether it be out there at Tap 14, the presenting sponsor of the Blake Street Irregulars podcast, located at 1920 Blake Street, just a half block from Coors Field, with those 70 Colorado beers on tap, 100 Colorado distilled spirits, American Alpine Fair that's both locally sourced and rotates seasonally, and those terrific rooftop views. We'll be talking to you, Coach Les, on this podcast throughout the course of the season, uh, as well as tuning in every weeknight at 6 p.m. to catch the Coach Les show. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a lot of fun. Folks, we will be back on Monday. Rockies have uh, a busy schedule ahead. No rest for the weary when it is spring training. Uh, They are facing Cincinnati today. They have Cleveland on Friday. They hit the road to go play those Brewers that we were just talking about, those surprising uh, Brewers. And then they have the Dodgers on Sunday. We'll look back at all of those games. It is daylight savings time this weekend, so don't forget to spring forward on Sunday and uh, make sure that you're not missing any of that Dodgers Rockies game on Sunday. We'll be back Monday morning to recap all of that action and look ahead. This is the Blake Street Regulars podcast. I am Casey Light. Thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you on Monday.